Mindfulness Mode 315. One of the things, too, that, that we like to say is correction, not perfection, right? I mean, we're all works in progress. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, it's so great to be here. I just returned from being a speaker at Steve Olsher's New Media Summit in San Diego. I was included to speak at this event as an icon of influence, and that is a result of being a successful podcaster. So thanks to you, listeners, to you, Mindful Tribe, for supporting my work and just tuning in and listening and giving me feedback. And also thanks to Steve Olsher and his great team for putting together this fantastic event in San Diego. What a great time. I mean, it was fantastic meeting so many like-minded people, friends I already knew, and of course, lots of brand new ones. The conference focused on podcasting, on video, on getting featured in media, just like my guests do here on Mindfulness Mode and end up being heard by hundreds and thousands of people. I will be featuring some of these great people I've met in upcoming episodes and they'll be sharing their fascinating stories like P.K. Odell, world-renowned feng shui master and owner of Feng Shui Advantage, and Adam Schauble, bodybuilder and inspirational coach who was once over a hundred pounds overweight and one day made the decision to lose the weight become a gym owner, and be an inspiration to others. Now he hosts the Million Pound Mission podcast. Mindful Tribe, keep those notes coming in. Just email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I appreciate it so much, and it just gives me motivation to continue. Yesterday, I received this note from Shalina, a Mindful Tribe listener in Finland. She said, I love the questions you ask your guests, and I love how you connect. I've learned so much about mindfulness from this terrific podcast. So, like I said, thanks for sharing. Today, I'm thrilled to share with you one of the few interviews I've done with two people. This is a husband and wife team. I met them in San Diego when I was there last year, and I was so inspired that I read their entire book on the plane on the way home. Now, their book, by the way, is called Bigger Love, How to Have the Love of Your Life for the Rest of Your Life. And man, I was impressed with this book. If you have any any interest in improving your relationship in your life, you know, check out this book. Well, I finally had the opportunity to interview them. And today is the day that I can share this interview with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Patrick and Sam Cullinane. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Time to give your relationship a checkup because we have two awesome relationship people with us today. This is going to be so much fun. I've got Patrick and Sam Cullinane with me today. Hey, Patrick. Hey, are you in mindfulness mode? Yes, sir. And Sam, how about you? Are you in mindfulness mode? 
Absolutely. This is cool because I get to interview two people at one time, husband and wife team. This is going to be fun. Now, let me just share a little bit about Patrick and Sam right now. Patrick and Sam Cullinane are relationship experts, expertise which has resulted from their experiences as they've moved through the ups and downs of the rocky marriage they endured with each other. Now, I said they're relationship experts. They may not put it that way. I'm not really sure. But, you know, from living through a marriage which had its ups and downs and now being able to kind of help others, that to me makes them relationship experts. The first decade of their 20-year marriage ended, sadly, with a 12-month separation and even signed divorce papers. But the second decade was an invigorating climb back up the mountain, which can be described as a refreshed love and intimacy, leading to newfound closeness and personal growth. Their challenges and discoveries are shared in their book, which I can tell you is fantastically awesome. It's called Bigger Love, How to Have the Love of Your Life for the Rest of Your Life. So, Patrick, Sam, tell us about mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you, Sam? Mindfulness to me, Bruce, is being completely present in every moment. And Patrick, what about you? She just stole mine. Um, <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, it's being absolutely mindful of, of the exact moment. What am I doing right now? How am I saying it? Um, how am I thinking about it? Am I internalizing it? All of it. Yeah. Well, in your book, you kind of go back and forth. One chapter, Sam, one chapter, one chapter, Patrick, and then you go back and forth with your views and your insight into relationships. And tell me this, you, you kind of healed your own relationship. When did it come to that point where you decided you wanted to write a book to help others do the same thing? We have had a lot of people ask us for advice on relationships because of our past, right? Because we were together, had a little bit of a rocky time, split up and somehow managed to get back together after being apart for a year. So, I mean, that's a fairly unique thing. You don't hear about a lot of people being able to do that. And so when people are having hard times and they are close to the breaking point, which I think is really when people start looking for help in their relationships. Um, So, People were asking us for a lot of advice and we thought, gosh, if we were going to write a book about something, what do we know about? We know about love. We know how to make a relationship, a romantic relationship work. So we thought we should, that's what we, that's probably what we have to offer the world. Well, and I can say that uh, I know why you got back together because you wrote it in your book and you said, you said, Sam said, Patty is a great lover. I trained him well. And you said, it would likely take years to train anyone else to love me like he does because I'd been training him for years. And that jumped out at me when I read it because I thought, hmm, I never thought of it that way. I don't think my wife has actually trained me. And that's cool that you that you wrote it and that you think of your relationship like that. Do you think we should train each other in a relationship? It's, it's interesting that you say that. So now I want to ask Pat, do you, 
do you, when we split up, did you think that I had trained you or was it something subtle that had happened that I only thought I had trained you? Like, I'm wondering, maybe your wife has trained you, Bruce, and you just don't know. Maybe that's yeah. it. No, I didn't. It wasn't a conversation we had until much later. I'm, I, I thought it was all me, of course. So, <laughs> Well, as guys, you know, we tend to have this thing where we think, okay, we have to perform a certain way and we have to be a certain way and if as long as we're that way we're gonna be you know strong and macho and all this stuff and and that's just not how it works with women is it sam not always i mean the, the macho and the strong has its place but there's also a place for the tender and the gentle and so you were in europe working a lot of a lot were you not i mean in the book you talked about that and and for that year you were separated it were you over there a lot of the time yeah the year we were separated i was pretty much living in spain um in barcelona and i did have to commute a little bit it ended up that my children didn't get our their visas so i would do like a couple months in spain and then maybe a month or or, uh, you know, a couple weeks at home and then another month back in Spain. So I did a little commuting, but for the most part, I was living in Spain. My, I was running a team there. So even when I was home, actually, I was on a terrible schedule where I would go to bed at 5 p.m. and get up at midnight and work through the night because that's, you know, the European day because of the time change. So I know that you appreciate the five love languages, the book written by, who was it, Dr. Gary Chapman. What did you get out of that that really helped your own relationship? For me, it was, um, it was very revealing because I'm, I'm a touch guy. And, and what that book teaches you basically is, is that we don't know any better. So um, we go into our relationships uh, showing love the way that we want to be shown love, which isn't always the way the other person wants it. So I'm a touch guy. So I'm always like touching Sam and rubbing her. And and I'm like, does that kind of a me? Yeah. Well, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I just read the part in the book where she, it was a headline and she said, but you touched me last week. <laughs> and that struck me so funny because, you know, that's the way you think. You're like, okay, that was enough. That's, that happened last week, so leave me alone. <laughs> but what about you? How did the, the five love languages affect you, Sam? Yeah, I, um, I recognized that Patty uh, was a touch guy, which I knew probably if I thought about it. It's my love language. It's hers is the hard part because, you know, hers is acts of service. Mostly the ones and the ones that carry the most weight are uh, housework, you know, pitching in around the house. So dishes, not, doing the dishes sexy. Ha hasn't been one of my strong points. It's something I have to be incredibly mindful of because I'll walk by a pile of laundry in the middle of the floor six times before I even notice it. If I'm not being mindful. Yeah. So. And usually that laundry where he has actually taken all of his clothes off in the middle of the living room and left it there for days. I mean, he just, it's a very strange habit he has. He undresses like in the living room or the dining room. And I don't know why he does that. I do I it for you, honey. You want to see me naked? That's true. <laughs> well, you, you certainly have quite a rapport going with each other. And, and it used to be a rapport that was in anger and frustration and then you healed it now did that healing happen over months and years or was it more like a mindset thing where you both kind of like changed the way you thought and it just happened all at once i've had 
I call them epiphanies. Um, for me, I mean, by definition, they are because that's something that changes right away. Once you get it, you get it, and then you move on. And then I describe several of them in the book. But as far as what you're talking about right now, I don't know that this is one of them. I think it's something that that we have to constantly be mindful of and continue to tweak and improve on. Right. You attended an event, didn't you both attend an event in 2015 that had an impact? I know I just saw a video of you, Sam, talking about that event and how impactful it was. Share that with us, will you? Yeah. Um, I think you're talking about the One Life Fully Lived conference. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. So Patrick dragged me to that conference and actually I was suffering from panic attacks like debilitating panic attacks and it was happening so much and so frequently and they were so overwhelming and I I'd sought all kinds of help and um just nothing really worked I didn't want to leave the house I mean it was pretty it was it was bad and he dragged me to that conference you know kind of kicking and screaming and um I learned some techniques to help manage to start helping me manage those panic attacks I mean I would say that conference and meeting those pe- some of those people saved my life. I don't know how I could have continued on with those panic attacks the way that I was having them. And how did that conference impact you, Patrick? It m- impacted me in several ways. I, I had signed, I had joined a, uh, a men's uh, mastermind organization called Go Abundance, but they didn't have anything going on for like four months. So oh. um, I was kind of, I was on the website and I was like uh, kind of stalking some of the other members and i saw tim road who founded and i knew him i knew of him before so um he's the founder of one life and i i started clicking through i looked at the conference i'm like at the time it was it's super affordable it still is um, a couple hundred bucks and uh i was like crap i can take the whole family to this one plus it's in reno i looked at flights and the flights were super cheap like 200 dollars. so we we were able to I took Sam, I took my daughter and I went and, um, it just, you know, it gets you into that, that, that mode of reflecting on yourself and your life. And what are you doing for yourself to get to move forward? And what are you doing to, to reach down and help others up along the way? And it, it's, um, it's been a, a huge impact on, on me and Sam and even our daughter. I mean, she was 17 at the time and went and got her real estate license. So on her 18th, or took all of her real estate classes on her 18th birthday, she was able to go get the license. I mean, she came out of there super motivated. Um, Well, and actually, I guess if we think about it, it's part of what inspired us to write the book. Yeah. You know, what are we bringing to the world of value and how do we want to be remembered? And are we living our life to the fullest? And we've met a ton of your, didn't you just interview Juliana Ray? Yes, I did. We met her through One Life. I train with her. I've trained with her. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a whole community out there that kind of interacts and dissects and crosses and um, it's all due to kind of one life. But we're on the board now, so that's how much impact it's made. Wow, that's a lot of impact. So Patrick, did it used to be difficult for you to talk about this stuff, especially the intimate relationship kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, as a as a male ego, um, you know, you're supposed to be strong and, um, in control of everything and, you know, not have those kinds of feelings because I'm a tough guy. And, uh, so yeah, it, it was, I don't know how, if it was difficult, I just didn't do it. And right. 
and probably didn't know how, you know. Yeah. Well, just a little background. I met both Sam and and Patrick in San Diego at an event that we were at, and I was uh, as there as a podcaster, talking a little bit about podcasting and that kind of thing, and then uh, met you. And the first thing you did was you pulled out your book. You handed me your book, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And then the first thing I did when I got on the plane to return from the event back to Canada was I read that book. And it was written in such a down-to-earth way. And it was a little bit raw, a little bit edgy, but an easy read. And it was like one chapter, Sam, from your perspective, and then another chapter, the next chapter would be Patrick's perspective. And it was just cool. It was a book I didn't want to put down because I thought, wow, you know, you can really make your relationship sizzle. And they had a relationship that, well, obviously it didn't sizzle for quite a while. It was a a fizzle. (laughs) It was a fizzle instead of a sizzle. And then you made it sizzle after a while. Is there some way you can tell us how you did that? How did you make that transformation so that your relationship did start to sizzle? There were a lot of things that happened and a lot of things that we do to make it sizzle and to keep it sizzling. I like, I, you know, we talked a little bit about the love languages, but um, my ability and willingness to speak Patrick's love language, which is touch, has had a huge impact on our relationship. And so I like to talk about that. Um, a, a lot of people refer to chapter four. This is this is part of chapter four. <laughs> and we, we had made love one night and, you know, it was kind of one of those things like I touched, yay, we're done for the week, kind of. <laughs> 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 and Patrick said, you know, have we ever made love and you regretted it? And I thought about it and I was, I was, I was kind of shocked to say, no, actually I, I've never regretted it. It's always great. You know, even if I don't have an orgasm, it's still a wonderful experience. It, you know, it's always great. And he said, well then how come you're always resisting me? Let's try a, let's try an experiment and, what if you just say yes every time I want to have sex? I looked at him like, are you shitting me? I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, okay, Sam, you know, you <laughs> we are working on connecting more and expressing love. So I was like, all right, one month we'll try it. And then I was, you know, I prepared myself for what I called what I thought the sexorama that I was about to <laughs> have for the next month. And, um, we did it quite a bit in the first few days, I'll admit. But then, you know, it kind of ended up evening out to the normal sort of what we had always, you know, one or once or twice a week, maybe three times. And um, to be honest, it was so um, prof- the, the transformation in our relationship was so profound that we never stopped that experiment. So now um, I always say yes, but it's interesting what's happened. I don't know if it's our age or... <laughs> You don't have to go into that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but uh, now he has to say yes also because I'm a little friskier than I used to be. So (laughs) it's the universe's evil trick that they played. We hit like 19 and they start peaking about 43. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm like, woo, I love this idea that we had. (laughs) 
Well, that and that's one of the ideas that really struck me as being a central theme of your book. Because when I first read it, I thought, oh, wow, like, like any time, any time at all, wow. And, and then you expressed how you felt about that, Sam, and you thought, well, geez, am I crazy? Like, was I crazy for agreeing to that? But then the way you described how it ultimately changed your relationship with each other, it just took the pressure off. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It was like undoing a pressure valve. I've never thought of it that way. That's brilliant, Bruce. Um, but it was like Patty just got really relaxed and happy because he wasn't always having to angle for sex. I got relaxed and happy because I wasn't always having to fight him off. It was just this agreement that we had that we were going to do it anytime. And it it works. Yeah, the preface on it, though, is it, it, it's even there's even a little bit more detail in there that she she skipped. And that is that. I'm like a night person, you know, I like to get in bed and fool around and she just wants to go to bed and go to sleep. And then she's a morning person. So she wants to get up in the morning and then have sex, you know, after we wake up and, and, you know, so I'm always, well, like, I was always, then. I was always pushing her, um, you know, at night. And so mm -hmm. that's how we got into that conversation from that perspective. But, and the other thing I would do is I would ask her, you know, 10 times in a week, you know, just to try to get the once or twice. Right. So that's why she was afraid. She's like, oh, my God, he asks me like every day, three, twice a day. Like now? How about now? Now? And um, but that was just because I knew I was going to be told no nine times before I got my yes. So, yeah, now I know he, that's that would be too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was well described how you described that. And another thing that you described in the book, Patrick, was that you had this sense of jealousy that you didn't know you had, but it came out later. You said, I didn't realize I had this much jealousy. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, well, I didn't think I, I don't think I had it when I was young, but, um, you know, if you're ever in love and you get kind of screwed over, then especially I, I dated this girl for a while and I, there, something just didn't quite seem right with all of her stories and her stories became frequent and they, they never sat well in my gut. And in the end, they all turned out to be like, my gut would tell me one thing, she would tell me another, and my gut ended up being right. And so I ended up having, you know, I carried those issues with me into like every relationship after that. And it wasn't, it was only a couple of years before Sam. So, um, but yeah, I, I, just, I learned how to be jealous and how to like start questioning everything. And, and it was really unattractive and probably assisted in pushing her away in that year 10. Um, so the year we were apart, it, I realized that that's something I can't take with me into any other relationship because it doesn't have, it serves no purpose. It just ends up, you know, undermining the relationship itself. So that's what I'm talking about in that chapter. It's just jealousy is ugly and it's hard to make it completely go away. It's you can't get rid of it. You just, you have to be mindful that that's what's going on and get, and then beat it down kind of internally, which is what I do now. Well, I found it interesting and I found myself questioning, hey, Bruce, do you have any of that jealousy? Are you ever jealous? Because I didn't think I was. And then once I started to focus on it, I thought, uh, yeah, I do have some of that. There are times when I feel jealous for like why, I don't know, but I started examining it a lot more. And I thought, you know, I need to let go of that. Let go of that feeling of jealousy because 
I mean, my wife is very faithful to me. She's she's dynamite. She's very supportive of what I do in my life and, and everything else. And why would I be feeling jealous? So I kind of went through that mind process and thinking, you know, okay, I can just let that go. And that made a big difference for me too, just just deciding to let it go. It, it kind of relates. I mean, it is in itself an insecurity and it, and it relates all back to self-love. It's like where yeah. you're thinking, you know, oh my gosh, what would happen if she went home with that guy and not me? And it's, you know, that's what, that's basically where it comes from. So once you realize, Hey, I'm going to love myself no matter what, who she chooses to go home with. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, Sam keeps coming home with me. So <laughs> always <Makes> baby. <laughs> well, one of the things that was funny in the book was your banter back and forth, you know, the relationship you have back and forth. And from the sounds of it, it could have been probably pretty volatile in the first 10 years. There were probably times when there was uh, pretty, the air was pretty blue in your house. Is that right? Absolutely. And then red. You know, because I get free. Sam used to manage. So she's came from a corporate background, fast riser in all of her jobs. And so she would manage a lot of people. And she, because she was a woman, because she was kind of a small woman, because she was a hot woman, she had to be, she had to be a bitch to get things done, you know, a lot of the time. And so, and I don't know if that's true, but that is how I did get things done. That's how she thought she had to be at the time. And she'll be the first one to tell you that um, that's not who she is now, but. Uh, that's how she thought she had to act in order to um, make things move. And yeah, so she, make things happen. She would do the same thing at home sometimes. You know, she'd come, she'd unload. And uh, yeah, I mean, Sorry, I deserved it, it. But as soon as you, you know, everybody knows that as soon as somebody starts yelling at somebody, defenses go up and you're not going to get anywhere. So, right. Do a lot of that. So she'd come home and see that dirty laundry and then. Uh... <laughs> That was not good. Yeah. I'm like, Man, you didn't even give me a hug yet. Wow. Like, you don't deserve a hug. Yeah. <laughs> well, last week. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're you're not at home. You're spending a little bit of time away, kind of some vacation time and that kind of thing. How does it work there? Does is it easy to make life work and, you know, sort of day-to-day things go smoothly? Okay. I, I think it's a little bit harder. Um, so we put our house in Airbnb and we use that money to rent a house in Mexico, which is where much warmer. And we decided to drive down here. Which they drive from They hell. do not have big, wide interstates here. It's driving is white knuckle harrowing in many, many instances down here. So we were both a little bit on edge for the drive. And then that carried over for a day or two. And, and then you're, you know, you're, we're outside our comfort zone a teeny bit. So, cause we don't, you know, our Spanish is marginal. We're in a new culture. We're trying to understand where we are, how we're going to grocery shop, you know, all the, the normal day to day things that you do. And so it's a little bit stressful to try to figure it out. Um, so we were definitely like, bickering a little more than we normally do. Uh, but it's been a few days and I think we're pretty getting pretty relaxed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it comes down to it, when you add an element of stress to something, then, it, then we're both a little bit on edge and then being annoyed happens a little bit easier. And then you say something back to your spouse in an annoying tone. Like I just did that. 
know what I mean? And then <laughs> right. we were, we were talking about, and we, it's something we've been working on. We started working on it while we were driving, but you know, sometimes we're slow to the curve. Um, it's, it's about speaking, you know, being mindful about how we speak to each other, being mindful of speaking specifically in a loving way. You're like, Oh, I'm sorry, babe. I just did that. So that's, that's what we're, we're doing now. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's truly important. That's for sure. Because a lot of times we don't realize how we come across to the other person. I remember I'm a musician. I know you are Sam and uh, I was recording some stuff and then I forgot to shut off the recorder and I had some stuff on there and I said some, something to my son and I said something to my wife and later I thought you just sounded like a real jerk, you know, and it's easy to do because, you know, something bugs you and you're kind of, irritated about this or that and it's easy to come across that way so that's true through mindfulness you really stop and think about how you're coming across don't you yeah yeah Yeah, you do absolutely especially me because i I tend to mumble a lot when i talk and uh so then i'm like what and then and then i grow the beard and it gets worse people can't even see my lips moving um (laughs) but i (laughs) I have to be mindful of how I'm speaking and, and try to raise my level of enthusiasm sometimes. And I have to be mindful not to be kind of, I, you know, I'll hear myself say something that's a little snarky, you know, like anyway. One of the things too that, that we like to say is correction, not perfection, right? I mean, we're all works in progress. And so you have to give yourself a little grace. You have to give your partner a little grace to be imperfect. And we can't be, you know, being, I would love it if I could figure out how to be mindful every moment of every day. I I haven't reached that level of enlightenment. So yeah, we're work, we're both working really hard on being mindful of being more mindful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's a reality. I think that's a reality for for us as humans. You know, like we think, oh, that sounds like a good idea, but then you get back to life and everyday stuff, and you know, sometimes you just forget about that focus. Do either one of you meditate? Is that part of your life? Yeah, it's a huge it's a huge part of my life. I meditate every day and sometimes multiple times a day depending on what's going on. It's what about for, you? It's, an, it's a complete and total part of my talk, but many days <laughs> it's not part of my walk. Uh-huh. I know how important it is and I know that it's something that will benefit me in a in a big way and it's something that I'm striving to get better and better at. Um but there are days where if, if I pick up my phone when I wake up and I get into work mode, I just, I'm, you know what I mean? I, I sit down and then later I'm, I got the stress building and I'm, I got to get these things done and it's the worst time to, and if I do force myself to go meditate in the middle of all that, it's, it's crappy. So I, I need to do it first when I wake up and give myself that time to kind of really get into it. I did it. I had a great meditation yesterday. And then today when I sat down and tried to sit, it was my, my head was everywhere and I blame it on the electronics, but cause I got on my phone earlier, but yeah, that can certainly do that. Sam music is such a big part of your life. Is it still, and what, what does it do for you? You know, I, it, it is and it isn't. I put out an album last year and then, and I've played, you know, a couple of shows and I've done a little bit, you know, a bunch of open mics. Um, since we have been, since we rented our house out and we've been traveling almost nonstop since the beginning of November, I haven't played very much. I carry, I, I play the piano, but I also have a ukulele and I care, I've, I take it everywhere with me. But honestly, when I'm, it's funny because I would say when I'm being present in the moment, 
of being in a in a different culture because we went to Belize and then Spain and now we're here in Mexico. Um, being in a different culture, I really like to immerse myself into what's happening and where am I and what are the beautiful things I can do and see while I have the opportunity to be here and music sort of falls by the wayside. So I haven't been playing that much. Um, but now that we're sort of settled here in Mexico for a few months, um, I can hear my ukulele and I brought a, I brought a keyboard. They're calling to me. I, I can't leave it for very long. It's a huge part of my life. Cool. Yeah. And I know your album is awesome. Thank you very much for giving me that. So you decided to write this book and I'm interested in the mindfulness behind that because thousands and thousands of people decide to write a book. But you pulled it off and you not only pulled it off, but you did it in a very cool way with, you know, Sam and then Patrick and then Sam and then Patrick. How mindful did you have to be to get through the process and actually complete it? It was pretty easy, I thought, up until a couple of months before we our, our goal deadline came and then we realized we were maybe one tenth of the way finished. But um <laughs> And and the, I want to circle back to one of the reasons why we wrote it, and that is that uh, um, we we were both looking at each other and we were talking about you know the advice and a lot of the things that we do and and where our areas of expertise might lie. And the first ten years of our marriage, we didn't have any of the tools. If we'd known what we know now, and could go back to the beginning, we never would have had that year apart. You know, I mean, our so that's what we wanted to share was all the cool tips, tools, and tricks that we've learned since that nosedive uh, that have helped that have, when we look at our marriage now, we can't even fathom that um, we might separate, you know? So bringing, I liked- that, bringing that all back around to the book, the, the other question that you asked, and that is that um, it, we, we had, we just wrote down several topics on things that we thought we'd learned. And, um, we both had our own interesting or our own perspective on those. And, and in many instances, completely different perspectives. And so we decided to say, well, I'll write mine, you write yours and we'll just put them both in there. Yeah. So we actually wrote the entire book separately. Okay. We talked about all of the things that we had learned and we put them into categories and then we, we, we wrote for, I mean, off and on for about a year. And when we came together to do, to create the book, it was, it it was apparent that we had to do the, he said, she said, because what we had written in so many cases, as you know, from reading it was different. We just, it was the same topic, but we had such different perspectives and both perspectives we thought added value. Not, and you know, it's funny, people are like, oh, it's the he said, she said, like male, female perspective thing, but it's not really written male, female perspective. It's just written in two different perspectives. I don't know, you know, I don't think we can say that everything that I say is very, is feminine because it's not, you know, I was kind of a hard ass, you know, corporate boss with more of a masculine kind of energy probably. And, you know, not everything Patrick says is male. So anyway. I thought that was, it was an interesting process for us, but we did, we had it, we set a deadline and we made a goal and we, we met it. I mean, we took it seriously. And even, even some of the, some of the the chapter titles, like we have a chapter title on jealousy and then another one on the chapter one, you know, who's the love of your life. Um, there, Sam doesn't know shit about jealousy. She never felt it. She (laughs) used to drive me nuts. I mean, she, she's like, it doesn't, I'm like what a waste of time why would you feel her like jealousy that? <laughs> meter just sat on zero it didn't even it didn't even move and um and and when it comes to loving yourself i uh 
I'm a complete rookie at it. You know, she's done all this work and, and, you know, and, and is miles ahead of me in that, from that respect, but it's something I'm, I'm working on. So I didn't have a ton to say other than all the things that I'd learned real recently when we were talking about that chapter. And so, yeah. Well, Sam, I think it's really interesting that you, what you said that you don't think it's a male, female type thing. Cause I agree with you. There were times I totally related to you, Sam, other times when I totally related to Patrick. And so, yeah, I was just like, Oh wow. These, these are just your views. They're just the way you're wired and we're all wired differently. You know, it's not like every male is wired the same way and every female is wired the same way. It just isn't true. And so I think that's one of the things that I found so valuable about it. You mentioned a little bit about your daughter and I think you have a son too, don't you? We do. Yeah. And so how did they respond to this? Like, this is a pretty big change. You know, first you're, you're not getting along that well, then you separate, then you sign divorce papers, then you're back together. This seems kind of rocky for a couple of kids. How did they respond through all of this? I think the thing that saved it really was she got that offer to move to Spain. I mean, within a couple of months after our separation. So um, the kids didn't really have to deal with a lot of back and forth in that, um, they had this opportunity to go live in Spain and we both, we, we stayed friends through the separation and, and we co-parented, I thought very well. And yep. I looked at that as a huge opportunity for them. I'm mean, like, man, I would have loved to be able to do that. was as a, if, when I was a kid and I, mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to stand in the way of it. So, and her company was going to pay to fly me out there. I think they offered three times a year or yeah, something. Quarterly so. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't as big of a deal for them because they had this huge change they were already making. And um, our kids are both pretty good about rolling with stuff. They're very, yeah, they're very resilient. Well, I always ask a question about the topic of bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time. Do either of you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? We talked about this because we've, listen to some of your podcasts and um then we know that you bring up the bullying topic so um i couldn't really think of any i mean i I thought of a time in fourth grade where i was kind of a dick to this kid um and obviously being mindful would have helped me then but that seems it seems a little trite yeah when that far back um and then sam brought up the fact that she thinks if the biggest bully um she sees is me bullying myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My dialogue of beating myself up and that kind of thing. So yeah, absolutely. That relates to mindfulness and getting and not doing it. And how do you deal with that now, Patrick? I it's, it's part of the love yourself thing. I, I recognize that, uh, that I have a tendency to, to beat myself up a little bit or, or, um, self-deprecate, you know, do those types of things. And so I try not to believe myself by being mindful and loving myself and giving and forgiveness. I mean, self-forgiveness is, is the key to all that. It's like, okay, I screwed up and I'm over it. Yeah. Now I move on. Yep. Yeah. And what about you, Sam? Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think Patty's doing a good job on learning not to bully himself. I can tell him, I can see him catching himself in his own thoughts about his, you know, his negative thoughts and more, more and more often and not, and realizing that he's having those negative thoughts and then taking action a different way. It's cool. Right. 
uh, I do have a bullying story. I don't, I guess I don't know if mindfulness would have helped or not. So I, I grew up in Salt Lake City. Uh, when I, I went to elementary school in Salt Lake City and then we started moving, but, um, and it's a primarily Mormon uh, community and I'm not Mormon. Um, I was raised sort of Episcopalian. And I think when, I can't remember how old they are when they get baptized, but it's older. It's like third or fourth grade, I want to say. They're eight. Mm -hmm. So so at age eight, um, they get baptized. And that's when I think they really, you know, they start to recognize that they're, you know, they're in this religion and it's it becomes very important to them as they learn all the stuff that they have to learn. And um, one of the kids not one of the kids, a lot of the kids, um, some of the kids weren't allowed to really play with me because I wasn't, um, LDS. And then, um, and then there was one, there's one instance where this kid just was so mean and it was in front of a large group of kids. And he was like, what religion are you again? And I was like, I'm Episcopalian. And he said, a piss of what, you know, you're going to hell. Right. And I was like, what home to my mom? I'm like, mom, I'm going to hell. Did you know this? <laughs> <laughs> um, the interesting thing about this story. So that was very um, damaging, right? It took a yeah. long time to figure out how to deal with, you know, under, it, it, it was actually immediate, like understanding different religions and why cultures clash and why, you know, kind of why war happens and all of the bad things. And, um, but the interesting thing about that story is, that later, um, I was in college also at the University of Utah, and I saw that kid. I recognized him immediately, and he was drunker than shit. He was hammered drunk, which, of course, is very against the Mormon religion. Like, they are not allowed to drink or smoke or swear or anything. And I, um, I was like, oh, what a hypocrite, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it turned out that he was actually homosexual. And so, uh, which is also very against the Mormon religion. And I think that once I figured that out about him, I recognized that a lot of people who bully are people that are hurting, they hurt others because they're hurting themselves. So he probably knew when he was eight, I mean, most of the homosexuals that I know, um, know early on, that they, that they're not like everybody else. And they, you know, they have different attractions. He probably knew that. And so he probably was hurting and, you know, confused and, and conflicted and um, lashed out at me because people that are hurting hurt others. So I think that was a, an interesting aha moment for me. I don't know if that has anything to do with mindfulness, Bruce, but it's an interesting story. Sam, I think it does. I think it definitely does because I think the more we can choose not to judge the other person and choose to, you know, many times you just have to realize they are going through some tough time too. They are hurting too. And that can make it so that it takes the pressure off how you feel, you yeah. know. So I agree. I think it's definitely a mindfulness thing. Well, I want to ask you some quick answer questions, five quick answer questions. The first one is this, uh, Pat, Patrick, who is one person who has uh, influenced the mindfulness that you have in your life now? 
No, that's that's an easy one. Um, it's Sam because she's studied with Juliana Ray. She's uh, Janai Lane's another person that she's learning the whole mindfulness and spirit from, and so it. I overhear the conversations. I've been involved in some of the. I've sat through some of the, you know, Skype classes that she's done. And Shh, you're not supposed to be on those classes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> for two people. And what about you, Sam? Who's one person that's influenced your mindfulness? Well, as Patrick mentioned, there's probably two. I have two big teachers in that area, and that'd be Juliana Ray who um, I study unified mindfulness and then Janai Lane, but it's a different kind of, it's a different approach, kind of a more woo woo, I would say approach to um, spirituality and mindfulness and the whole shebang. So Sam, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Well, it, it allows me to understand what I'm feeling to begin with, because I think a lot of times I just let, I, I realize now that I've let my emotions sort of push me around in my life. And once I recognized what they were and that I didn't have to directly, um, I'm not my emotions. They are something that happened to me. And um, so those recognitions has changed my life entirely. Right. And what about you, Patrick? How have you uh, found that your emotions have been affected? Well, so Sam uh, helped me with this part of it. The feelings are real. But how you choose to react to the feelings, that's what you have control over. So the emotion is typically your choice in reaction or your body's physical reaction to the feelings. Yeah. So Patrick, tell me how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Oh, that's interesting because we did, we spent a day with a Peruvian shaman last year who talked to us about breathing. And ever since he's talked to us about it, I see it. I'm like, oh my God, somebody told us about this last year and somebody was talking to us about this now. And so you know how the universe kind of conspires to put things in front of you once you figure it out. Um, but yeah, we we use just taking a normal breath in a day. We're, we're doing what, 28% capacity of our lungs and feeding your body. And so just, just forcing yourself to breathe. When I feel um, any stress, or laying there having trouble sleeping or any of that, I, I just breathe. I try to maximize my lung capacity, hold it for a little bit, oxygenate my body, breathe out. And I have to do that, focus on my breathing when I meditate, and it's a huge part. So what about you, Sam? Uh, what's breathing like in your life? It's amazing. But if as soon as I take uh, my mind to my breath, I'm in the moment. It's, it's immediate. So I love... I mean, I use that in meditation. I use it if I get frustrated. I focus on the breath as is also, you know, instrumental in my life and my mindfulness practices. So Sam, do you recommend a book on mindfulness? I was trying to think about this. Most of my mindfulness um, has come from experiential right. type, um, t- type practices and, and learnings. But I have a weird one that I wanted to bring up, and that is crucial conversations. It's about communicating, but the part of the book that I think sparked the first thought for me as far as taking, like removing myself from my emotions and then choosing my reaction was that book because of the way that they scientifically kind of break down conversations and kind of how, you know, you can get sparked by something and your emotions take over and it's a physical experience, but you can take a breath step back 
and have a different reaction than what your immediate reaction might be, which might be fight or flight. So I love, it's an unusual one probably to teach mindfulness, but I feel like that was probably the first spark that I had of a mindfulness type practice. And what about you, Patrick? Do you have a book you want to mention? Um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. It's uh, about as mindful as any one person can get. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So what about an app? Do either of you recommend an app for mindfulness? I don't have a recommendation for an app. I don't either. We're I trying don't... to step away from our electronics, but. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of my, uh, a lot of my interviewees are the same way. They'll say, you know, the less I can do on, you know, with my phone or devices, the better sometimes when it comes to mindfulness. So I totally understand that. I'll put all of these links in our show notes and especially the link to your book because your book is a powerful book for anyone who is, you know, maybe you want to just make your relationship a little bit better. Maybe you haven't even had a relationship yet and you think, geez, you know, when that time comes, how can I be aware of how to make it a good one? And all of that is a great place to learn in Bigger Love. That's the name of the book, Bigger Love, how to have the love of your life for the rest of your life. So check that out by Patrick and Sam Cullinane, and you will be able to get that book on Amazon, I'm sure. I'll put the links right there in the show notes for that too at mindfulnessmode.com. So Sam, Patrick, thanks so much for being here on the show today. It's just been great chatting with you. Thanks for having thanks us, for having Bruce. Us. This has been super fun. Also, the, the book is audiobooks available on iTunes. Cool. And did you record that yourselves? We did. Yep. Have a great rest of your day and continue having a wonderful time in Mexico. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce. Okay, bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Patrick and Sam. If you did, please subscribe and leave a comment at the bottom of the episode on my website. That's mindfulnessmode.com. You can check out the show notes, check out links, mindfulnessmode.com. I'll mention you on an upcoming episode if you leave a comment there. Remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. So till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.